Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello and welcome, friends, to the Church Leaders Podcast. I had the opportunity to speak with a pastor this week who just returned from a pretty amazing experience that gave him a first-hand look at the migrant caravan traveling through Mexico. Gavin Rogers serves as the associate pastor at Travis Park United Methodist Church in San Antonio. He's a native Texan and a graduate of the Divinity School at Duke University. On this week's episode, Gavin shares his personal experiences as he traveled with the migrant caravan, including the stories and motivations of those he encountered. We discuss how we, as ministry leaders, can respond to this issue and the importance of opening up healthy dialogue even when we all do not necessarily agree. So it's a a fantastic episode. Really encourage you guys to take time to listen in and share this with your ministry team. So please, won't you join me now in my conversation with Gavin Rogers. Gavin, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Uh, So excited that you were able to take time today uh, to to spend with us, and I'm excited for our listeners to hear uh, a little bit of your heart. So welcome. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, It was uh, a surprise to uh, see the article about my journey on Church Leaders. Uh, I love it when you don't have to talk to anybody, and it's still one of the most accurate stories uh, out there. Uh, That that says a lot (laughs) about uh, y'all's uh, heart and uh, coverage. So love that. We certainly appreciate that, brother. Yeah. Listen. So let's talk a little bit about your journey. You've spent uh, some time in Mexico recently, traveling with the migrant caravan. Can you sh- start by sharing a little bit what prompted you to kind of make that trek and get get involved in that way? You know, I uh, have been a minister in San Antonio for ten years, and most of that time I've been doing ministry with the homeless in some form or fashion. And the last four months, I've worked at Travis Park Methodist Church, which is in downtown. And um, we have a huge homeless population here uh, out of the Sunday attenders, maybe out of the 600 or 700 who are here on a Sunday, 400, 500 will be homeless. Wow. And so I've always had a heart for kind of living in solidarity with, with those on the street, with those in the poor. And I've done that for a while. And so recently, though, in San Antonio, there has been an increase in the last maybe two years of immigrants coming through San Antonio uh, out of the ICE detention centers, right? So right. Uh, detention centers in Brownsville, McAllen, Philly, uh, all these different detention centers. And so previously, the, the ICE was just dropping them off and just saying good luck. We've solved that problem. But in the last year, uh, we've just seen a lot of people come through the Greyhound station with tickets before ICE would just drop them off. Now they let organizations like the Interfaith Welcome Coalition know they're coming through. And we have an organization, or not we, but I'm, we're a part of an organization that, that helps care for immigrants. And so the last two weeks, we saw a huge increase on the daily number of people inside the Greyhound station, which normally there's about 40 or 60, and we were seeing 100, 200 people a day. And the rumor was, we don't know if this is true, uh, they're clearing out for the caravan. Then at that point, we still probably in Guatemala or Honduras or maybe South Mexico. And so I was like, huh, OK, I mean, I heard about that and I heard about the, the caravan that began. So we kind of tracked it for a while and, and saw that it was getting closer and the rhetoric of the election was getting high, hotter. And uh, so honestly, about four days before I, I flew out on a Friday, uh, I just talked to my my senior pastor and I was like, hey, I kind of want to go down there. And we. He, we kind of talked about it, and he was like, all right, you know, and then 
I was able to time it around where I didn't have to miss most of my work with the homeless and flew down there on a Friday just to learn and live in solidarity with those around us. Uh, Access solidarity, there's not a lot of planning involved. You know, it's almost improvisational. It's almost fluid. And so therefore, I went down there just to hear stories and walk among and kind of come what may. I wish there was more of a plan other than I wanted to learn more about the caravan. I wanted to learn more, more about how we could probably help in a situation. But more importantly, I wanted to hear stories from the people in from Honduras, from Guatemala, from El Salvador, that I wanted to hear their side of the story. I wanted to hear their background and, right. and their life. And I wasn't we weren't getting a lot of that in clear ways through the media, through social media, through all different forms of communication. So uh, it was just really just kind of a, a way where I'm a, I'm a single guy who can jump on a plane and, and get down there. So if I'm going to you know, it's almost why I'm associate pastors. I can kind of get away with that kind of stuff. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we, we did, we made it happen. That's so. awesome. Uh, at the time we thought the caravan was coming to Texas. Uh, not almost until a week ago, did I learn, even when I was down there, did I learn they were not going to Texas? Okay. Uh, even, even that Friday night, I still assumed they were going to walk toward Texas cause it's much closer. Right. Um, right. But they wanted to take a safer route to, uh, Tijuana. Which, it's a safer route. I don't know if Tijuana is safer, but the route to the border was it's, – it's much safer to go on the western side of uh, Mexico. Right, right. And, and so my first mission trip was to the country of Honduras when I was in junior high. I, I went to Spring Woodland Church of Christ just uh, in the Woodlands, Texas, and we went down to, to, to Gusagalpa, uh, and then a year later, Hurricane Mitch came, and then the next – maybe 10 mission trips I went on was to a town in Chulateca, Honduras that was devastated by Hurricane Mitch. So I had a connection with Honduras and I thought, well, let's go hear these stories. Um, and hearing from uh, ministers that are better connected in the immigration circles than me uh, said that a large or a higher percentage than normal of uh, this caravan, those from Honduras are evangelical Christians or Protestant Christians. Um, Really, and so that kind of that kind of struck a chord with me, and right. I thought, well, why why is that? So you had the opportunity. You went down there. Um, you spent time staying in solidarity, marching, walking in solidarity with all these families that are making their way to the border. In the midst of that, can you kind of share with us? You know, uh, you know, speaking to pastors, ministry leaders, from a pastor's perspective, in the midst of all that. What was going through your mind as you encountered these people, as you learned more about what they were experiencing? Well, the Christian faith, to begin with, follows a savior that was an immigrant. Like, that's not really up for debate, right? They, right. Mary and Joseph fled King Herod, acts of genocide, and they, they fled, right? So we even start there in our Christian faith. In the scriptures, Jesus tells us to love your neighbor as yourself, to, to welcome those uh, who are poor, to, to feed and clothe those who are hungry and naked. Uh, we have all the scriptures in Matthew 25, right? But here's the thing. In the Old Testament, it even kind of has stricter language. In Leviticus, it says to welcome uh, those who are foreigners into your land like native-born, or you can translate that into blood relative, right? Uh, mm-hmm. To welcome the uh, foreigners into your land, it says, in, uh, and also Deuteronomy and Leviticus, because you were once foreigners in a land out of Egypt, right? Right. Um, there is a lot of immigration going on in our faith, and I think that that's like kind of undeniable. So 
I really wanted to come with that perspective and just live among and to tell people, even if with all I could do, just say you are loved. We listen. We are listening to you. There are many people in the Christian faith that care deeply, and that was kind of probably my my Christian focus, right? You know, I had two probably reasons to go down there: my Christian faith and also just wanting to learn uh, as a citizen who can, is concerned about how we embrace all immigrants. So, weirdly enough, it ties in quite nicely to the Christian uh, religion and, and being a pastor, right. uh, you, re- you know, you really can't go wrong there. Can you share maybe uh, a couple stories of some of the people or some of the families that you might ha- have met, you know, kind of give us, uh, sure. you know, just a little snapshot and a little sneak peek into, you know, the, the reality of, of their lives and their stories. Yeah. yeah. When I arrived on, on Friday night, I didn't really know what I was going to do. But then I found out through some friends that are down there that the, the main part of the caravan was still in the Mexican, Mexico City shelter, and uh, we should go down there and talk to people. And we were talking to people there. We were listening to families and, and mothers who were carrying infants by themselves. We, were, we met full families together. We met individual men and women who were traveling down there, and all of them were always fleeing extreme violence, extreme poverty a combination of those two, militarization. I mean, Martin Luther King says you have a problem, right, when you have poverty, militarization, and, and right, racism, right? Mm-hmm. So all those three things it, it, you can associate to this issue. And uh, we heard exactly those stories. And we were meeting people that were fleeing. They even called it, some groups called it an exodus, not a caravan, right? Certain right. groups, like people without borders, calls this uh, an exodus, now, I know that's debatable. I know that that is, is definitely needs to be talked about. But I thought that was an interesting kind of language we were learning. And so the people there, for the first day, I was just listening to stories, listening to people and, and connecting with them in, in really genuine ways. Um, you know, we would ride along with them in the backs of, uh, of trailers that were refrigerated and opened air and, and just listening to people. But then day two, it, it was a game changer. I didn't know if I was going to continue on. Uh, or just be like, let's go back to the shelter in Mexico City, kind of learn from more southern groups in the caravan. But I was like, no, I think I need to spend one more day. So I slept in the shelter about three three hours north of Mexico City, woke up at four in the morning, started walking out of the, shel- I mean, out of the shelter onto the streets again, heading north. And usually you catch a truck, you catch some type of transportation after walking some distance. And, and this was kind of, we were kind of striking out and, and thousands of people were striking out. And then finally, at a toll station, trucks started arriving uh, that were just on the route north. And I jumped on like this double length semi truck trailer and, and it, they stopped and, and hundreds of people started piling on the, the truck. And I thought, OK. And so I climbed on with them and I didn't know if they were going to tell me to get, you know, get off or or not. But they kind of started reaching for me and pulled me on and found me a spot and sat next to these kind of young adults. There were some families on this truck. Most families go a little slower. Most families find, find, you know, with children find ways to probably not ride on something like that. But there were still babies on that thing, but mainly young adults. And so I had a conversation with them for about three hours, learning their stories, watching them uh, commune with one another, sing songs, uh, share food, and just keep heading north. And that's when I started bonding with the friends that I met uh, they were ranging from the ages of 15 to 28, average age probably 21. And the 15-year-old, I mean, she would be in my youth group here at Travis Park. You know, I'm not a youth minister, but she would be in, she would be in our youth group. Right. And 
that was just kind of mind boggling to, to experience. And then, but I was sitting next to her closely, but she was really worried about me. So she like wrapped her like arm, like through my like, like backpack and jacket and like people's legs were all kind of crisscrossed because people wanted to stay safe. And they, they, they put me into that. Like they, they didn't just say, Oh, sit here and you're on your own. Like they embraced me fully fed me when I didn't have food, gave me water when I didn't have water. And I'm a American just on this journey with them with really no need to do so. Because so, they just saw, like, if you are a stranger, if you are somebody with them, like, you're a family. Like, you're going to be treated like family. It's not There's no asterisk attached to that, mm. you know? Right. Um, and so, therefore, that's when I realized I was learning something much more than just hearing stories uh, of why they were leaving, horrific stories. But uh, that's when I started realizing the love they had for even the stranger, which ironically lives in a country that may not give them the same type of love back. And I also learned that 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 group of students or the group of young adults were from Chulateca, Honduras, the city I did my first mission trip in 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 Honduras, which really kind of puts an idea of like, what's the Christian response to a people that many of them's first interaction with religion or a new interaction with religion, the evangelical faith and their Christian faith, were from American missionaries saying how much they loved them. They were doing puppet shows. They were doing VBSs, building building houses after Hurricane Mitch. All this care and attention saying you are loved, right? And they're probably wanting to say, you know, I'm going to that country where I was loved. I, the people that were from there always said that I, they, were, they were for me, that they would never abandon me, right? And that was haunting to realize that maybe some of the people that evangelized to them may not have the same feelings if it was the other way around. And that was haunting to me to kind of experience that irony. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Let, let me back up just a little bit. You said that as you came into um, the stop and you jumped off the truck the first time that um, a lot of the caravan kind of stopped there, but some people were, were going on. So you jumped back on and, and you went further with this a group of uh, kind of young adults. Were they still part of the caravan at that point? I mean, was yeah, was, they was joined it just back kinda... up later. They joined back up in Guadalajara. Already met back up in Guadalajara, and now they're in Tijuana. They're pulling into Tijuana right now. Because oh wow! They, they scored a bus caravan, or the the government finally was like, you know, we're just going to bus you to Tijuana if that's your goal. Uh, but no, we 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 did. We we headed toward Guadalajara. And actually didn't make it. We we got dropped off at an abandoned, not an abandoned gas station. We got abandoned at a gas station, and we were still hours away, like even in a car from Guadalajara. And we thought, what are we gonna do? And so they kind of first the the people, the police that were kind of with us said, you might have to sleep here one night before we can figure out transportation. But in a few hours, an organization and some uh, municipalities around that area found enough dump trucks. We were all crammed in a dump truck, like, you know, the kind of dump truck that the walls were higher than, uh, than right. you can see over. And we got taken just down the road and transferred on a different truck. And it took us 12 hours to go two hours. But we finally got to Guadalajara at four in the morning. And then the next day, the caravan that we split from got to Guadalajara. So this, these young adults were just eager to go. They already they thought if we're on this ride, let's not get off. If that makes sense. Okay. Like, uh, so they just hedged their bet, and it pulled, It worked out. But after that 18-wheeler or that or that flatbed, it was the craziest moment of the journey where it was late at night. We're crammed into dump trucks. It's extremely cold. Uh, people could barely stand up. They were so tired. 
they probably might have overshot their 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 goal, but they got there, and they all like every time we would transfer a different, a different mode of transportation, they would actually wait for me. Like they would say, "Gavin, like we're on this truck, we're going this way," because people were kind of scrambling to different trucks at that time. So they were like they could have had every right to be like, "See you, man. Nice to meet you. I'm gonna keep going." Right? But they truly waited for me. And when we got to Guadalajara, they made me a pallet. Like one person gave me their blanket. They never abandoned me, which is I, I'm speechless to this day of, of, of why they they did that. They did that. Yeah, so. that's a pretty powerful experience. Let me ask you this: Were at any time were you ever worried for your safety while you're traveling with the caravan? Oh man, there was one time I dropped my wallet, and this is not with my friends. I was just walking on the street, and I was kind of pulling out a phone, and I I dropped out a, a wallet, and somebody like ran up and gave it to me. And they had every like they didn't even wow. know me. It wasn't like right. it wasn't like they like knew me and they felt bad. Like they just did not know me. We were in the crowded areas of Mexico City on the state bus stations where everybody's up against each other, and you're kind of like, oh, I should watch, you know, my wallet, right? I never felt that way. Everybody, they they were so concerned about other things. Like a stealing a wallet or a backpack wouldn't have done them any good. Like they're so they're not they were not out to harm anybody, even if you had resources. You know, in my backpack, I guess I had my passport. I had a really large kind of like battery pack for my phone and a wallet and an extra pair of socks. And uh, I didn't even use those socks. I kind of forgot about them because we were traveling so quickly. Uh, so they could have taken some valuable stuff, but I they never. I left my backpack on the truck one time when I had to run to the restroom, off the truck and jump off and run to the restroom. And you know they could have done something with my bag, and they just handed it right back to me. Right? I mean, weirdly enough, I thought that would be a concern, and people were really worried about it. Um, and I was too, I guess, at the start. But it turned out to be the opposite. I I felt more dangerous you know, in San Antonio, Texas. So, <laughs> Hey, so from your experience, Gavin, did you, you know, in traveling with, with the caravan, did it at all make you worried for safety of U.S. citizens if the group um, is able to gain entry to the U.S., you know, as they, as they come no, to the No, 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 not really. I mean, here, I have to clarify, you know, on the journey, there are bad things that happen. I mean, there's thousands of people right. and not only it's not always by the people in the caravan, you know, you have people who take advantage of people who are traveling. Right. Uh, and it's, so I'm not to say that there were not pretty horrific stories that might've happened and maybe I got lucky, but when it comes to your question about safety, uh, like do we, do we see them as a perceived threat? Not, no, uh, there's nothing threatening about people who are fleeing, from a country or a region that is violent and corrupt and been harassing your family, have been raping pe- people in your family, maybe yourself, uh, that if you continue don't pay off the right cartel or right uh, corrupt police system, they'll, 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 they'll stop protecting your family. And if you run out of money, what are you going to do? And you have to flee. And so these families, even if you saw the pictures of these strollers, how many people are pushing strollers? I don't really see a stroller as a threatening vehicle. Now, are there people in the caravan? I did not meet anybody who would cause a true harm because when you operate in the in the sense and identity of a family, like they treated me on that bus, right, or on that truck, right. then it changes dialogue. They're pulling into Tijuana right now, and 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 this is really see my my Christian message in here is really not just to Americans. It's to it's it's to United States of Americans. It's not it's it's to Canadians. It's to people who live in Mexico. Your, the Christian response to immigration doesn't change based on what country you live in or what politic you operate under. 
Like, it, it's pretty clear in Scripture how to treat the immigrant. And if we do it that way, even in there's, when there's a perceived lack of resources, when there is extreme poverty, when there is confusion and political confusion, it can break down walls and relationships to be peaceful even when there's a lot of stress. And that's been quite proven throughout the journey. Now they're pulling into Tijuana, and there's videos that I've watched yeah. this morning of, of last night where people in Tijuana, citizens of Tijuana, are screaming, get out of our city, get out of our country, we don't want you here, you're taking our resources, you, you don't belong here. And we hear that same language sometimes screamed in the United States of America. So really, the human condition and our, and our tendency to mistreat the immigrant is kind of a universal problem. And we will see when people who have traveled a long time are pushed up against the wall that are continually used to create fear, what the reaction will be, I don't know. That, that haunts me and scares me a little bit because all of us, when we're pressed to uh, in extreme situations, will sometimes counterreact. And so I am not fearful for anybody in that caravan who are naturally trying to seek asylum. Uh, it, it, that's almost everybody I met. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me jump in there on that because, you know, there there are reports uh, coming out of the U.S. Lots of people think that the caravan is really a massive protest as opposed sure. to people seeking asylum. From your experience, how do you how do you kind of discern, you know, motivations and that sort of a thing? Because you know, those are two very different things. Obviously, you know, people who are kind of using this as a way to protest. Um, injustice and that sort of thing, or people who, yep. are, who are genuinely seeking asylum. So from your experience, you, you were in the midst of it. So what, what do you say? What did you observe? No, I am not going to deny that there is a political, well, I would say uh, protest side of this. Uh, Pueblos Sin Fronteras is a you know, group that likes to, to use protest to create a point. However, uh, I think they're taking that opportunity to 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 enlighten, just like uh, in the civil rights movement, there was protests, you know, and marches by faith-based leadership to highlight something else that was going on. Right? Uh, it wasn't the protest itself that they were highlighting. And I think there's an element of that, and there are political aspirations, probably. However, when you see hundreds and thousands not hundreds of thousands, hundreds and thousands of people. Uh, and they're with their family and they're, again, pushing strollers with, you know, I met a, a gentleman who was carrying an, a six-month-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old all the way through Mexico and Honduras and Guatemala. That's not a typical protest. That is a desire and a determination. And then if there is a protest element, maybe. But I would really, I could not chalk it up to this is just a, uh, some type of political statement. I, I just don't see yeah. it, see it proven. Uh, immigration and caravans have been happening, uh, for years and for, for decades. Uh, and well, all over the world, it's been happening forever. No, that's, that's helpful. That, that makes sense. One of the things also that we hear even within, uh, the evangelical church here in the U S is, um, yeah, we should have compassion for, um, you know, the foreigner, but we also have laws. We're supposed to uphold the laws of our, you know, of our government. And so there's this big kind of, you know, battle in a way like, hey, yeah, compassion, sure. But also, you know, we want to do things kind of the legal way. What, uh -huh. what you know, what from your experience, um, kind of where, where where do you see that, you know, kind of that line and, and, and what makes kind of the most sense 
you know, biblically speaking, as a pastor, right. you know, I mean, living this out, you know, well, where do you I'll see that come into, together? I'll dive in a little controversy here. I have friends on both sides of the pro-life, pro-choice movement, right? Okay. And the same people who are always, always, often saying we should respect the laws of the land when it comes to immigration, right? I mean, I, I'm a Christian, but I right. also have to respect the law of the land. Would not most of them, and I just know the stats of political views, right? Uh, most of them would not say, "Oh, I will honor the law of the view, a law of the land of abortion." Mm. They would protest, right? They wouldn't just say, "Well, I'm I was a Christian, you know, I, it's just the law. What can I do? It's we're supposed to be good American citizens." So, no, they they would never say that, right? So, people are picking and choosing. People are are using misunderstanding of the other, of fear, of fear to attack. It's very clear. I mean, if somebody said you, you're an immigrant. Uh, political policy. I'm just talking about the general phrase. And then somebody says, but at the end of it, you have a good chance what comes after that but is going to be a lot of minutiae, right? Like in a confusion. Uh, and we often, and I often do it that my, I'm not perfect. I, I probably do that all the time in some other viewpoint, right? Right, right. right. Uh, so therefore, I don't know. I don't buy that. I do. I, are we supposed to respect the laws of the land, meaning like don't murder you know, honor speeding, honor the taxes and those things, give to Caesar what to Caesar. Yes, like that's what it's talking about. But if there is an injustice and you find it injustice, uh, as Christians, I don't think we're, uh, we don't worship a kingdom of presidents. We worship a king of kings and that's Jesus Christ. And so, uh, and, and, and then different Christians have different opinions about that. So I'm not, I'm not trying to say one viewpoint is better than the other, but then but by using that phrase and then hiding behind it sometimes, but not other times, that's when it becomes a problem. Right, right, right. right. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You know? And and I think it's – it's it, this kind of goes back to the root of why um, – one, one of the motivations you shared with us that you went down there was to listen and to dialogue. And I think that's true within our own country, right? Whenever we need to listen to one another, um, even within the church because like you said, there are different viewpoints and yeah. so we need to be able to to listen in a way that's you know genuine and respectful as we have these conversations as we have these dialogues as we try to discern exactly how god is at work in the midst of everything that we're facing because just like you said we i mean we all admit we don't always get it right but our heart should be in a place where we're seeking the guidance from from god so that we can honor him as best we can in every situation that that we face, no matter how small or how big. And so I think one of the things that we see in this is there is a lot of conversation going on, but there may not be a lot of of listening, you know, genuine listening to one another going on. So let me ask you this, Gavin, before we have to end our time here, what do you sense is the role of a, a pastor or a minister in the in the midst of of things like uh, misinformation? You know, in the midst of you know, kind of these not so much dialogues that are taking place, but just people kind of spouting off their viewpoint. Sure. You know, where where do we as pastors fall in the midst of all this? Because we have people. Not not only uh, do we as ministers perhaps have differing opinions on some of this, but people that God's entrusted to our care. You know, our flock. You know, they're trying to discern this as well. So, how do we as pastors really kind of speak into this and how do we provide some leadership and some some guidance well when you're speaking about a pastoring of a, of a specific congregation or parish 
that, that has to be discerned by the pastor, right? I mean, the pastor will know its flock. They'll know how to navigate those channels. Some churches are more united fronts than others. Some churches are kind of a moderate mix, right? Right. That's actually for the moderate mix. It's it's a lot harder, right? Exactly. My church yeah. is my church is pretty uh, clearly on one side of the fence, at least on most of these social issues. Uh, but it, when it comes to like social media, even when I uh, saw postings of people of, of people I went to church with post images from 2012 saying yeah. that saying that it was the part of the migrant caravan now here's the thing i gave them the benefit of the doubt like okay they thought that was true they posted it you know they were they, obviously fear can dictate a lot of things right when my friends both faith-based and non-faith-based you know because i was traveling so i never saw all the responses i i trust me i i saw them now <laughs> like the, you know trolls come out of the woodwork and both sides were very aggressive to each other in some ways However, when some groups were kind of like moderate, like, hey, we love you, but we Googled, reverse imaged, searched this image, and it has nothing to do with the caravan. It was actually 2012 at a student protest, and you're, you're, you're creating a false narrative, right? Right. Like when that was like completely proven, like there's no doubt that happened. Even after speaking to police, I even asked and showed that images to police officers down there, and they're like, no, that's not happened. And, 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 and they said this has been – almost 99% drama-free. Uh, I don't know if that will remain the same in Tijuana, but the tr- journey itself. And they said early on there was a few scuffles with a handful of people. When you have 15,000 people, 6,000 people, depending on where you were on the journey, that's not surprising, right? Right. Um, but yet we don't let our cooler heads see that. We just jump on it. And so when this, when this information was presented to the said people – I thought they would say, okay, we'll delete it. You know, we might still have our point of view of immigration, but we'll 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 take the hit and we'll delete the post. Like the, people doubled down. They said, no, it doesn't matter. The truth, the story is still true. The image might be not not be true, but I'm not. It's I I refu- like they were like just defiant not to take it down, and that's what kind of startled me because I have actually deleted post posts before. I have said some things online in the last ten years that you're like, okay, you, you know. That right. was overreaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, you delete it or you leave it up and you apologize. Right. It's actually bolder bolder to leave it up, right? Right, right. In, in some ways, unless it's extremely damaging. And what's sad is I've seen that thing shared since then from the same source. So it's still getting out there. So I think that's what – I think that's their, their attention is to, you know, we're going to create a narrative and it, it's, 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 it's fuzzy truth. But right. if it gets our truth across – we win or we win. We feel like we win. That's a little scary. So as a pastor, how do you counter that direct of a lie? Ooh, like <laughs> I think you say it in love. I mean, if you look back on how I responded to those things, I, I, I think the closest thing I said, honestly, y'all quoted me. I think I said it's garbage. Right. Right. I think that's the meanest I got. Uh, but it, it, it in a way, it's kind of clear. And even my most conservative, diehard pro whatever, you know, strictest immigration law people are. Most of them wouldn't even look at that image and say, okay, that's not good, right? So it, there is, it does surprise me that there is an element out there. And I don't know if that's the rhetoric of just kind of like our political climate on both sides of the extremes that just say, well, if it gets, if it gets our point across, that's what wins. And uh, unfortunately, as a pastor, I think, you can, I think you can speak up against that. I think you can use your prophetic voice and say, no, absolutely not. You know, we can debate, we can we can talk, we can uh, go have dialogue groups. Uh, I do this thing called pub theology, where we bring in all different religious, theological, and political viewpoints to come and speak at, at pub theology. 
those things can be appropriate. But when you see just a flat out misinformation, right. that's not even like debatable. And then people say, well, that doesn't matter. Then that's, that's something I feel like as pastors, you have every right to call out just like you have all the other sins that we like to call out. Yeah. Uh, you know, like we, I don't, I think we're in the business of calling out sin. I, 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 at least we're, I still hope that's still a little bit about what we do. So, you know, to me, some of it's like that. Now, can we do it in love? Can we do it not as aggressively? Can I do that better? Obviously. Uh, excellent. Uh, Gavin, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about your journey. Just uh, we're getting ready to, to close down. And so I just want to give you an opportunity. If, if there's something, again, pastors, ministry leaders are, are the ones listening in right now. If there's something sure. you'd like to say to your colleagues. You know, well, to, to your fellow pastors, kind of about this issue or, or your experience, whatever it is. What you know, encouragement would you leave with them? Yeah, well, first of all, like get involved in whether denomination uh, group. There's many denominations: the Methodists, Presbyterians, the Lutherans, the Catholics. All have different refugee services and organizations that offer legal aid. Uh, get involved in that. Uh, get involved with the Interfaith Welcome Coalition. You can Google them. Uh, they have relationships with bus stations all over the country that you can honestly direct your your congregants to serve. Apart from that, though, when it comes to this issue, I really don't see a divide between the liberal, conservative, and moderate church. I know those words aren't perfect, but you know, for right, the lack right. of a better term. I know friends – I mean, John Garland, a Mennonite pastor who um, is in San Antonio, a fantastic voice for immigrants, is a pastor of a progressive church. However, he has some of his best friends in the immigration movement are from some of the Assemblies of Gods and the non-denominational churches – Bible churches that are, have different, you know, kind of conservative theological viewpoints. But he said that if, if we don't just don't stay in our liberal conservative camps, he has gotten people together, at least in our area. And it's been a game changer because most everyone, for the most part, at least with a pastoral voice, it's a pretty easy place to fall after we get rid of the politics. It's pretty easy. So if we can unite and, and, and use our voice. I mean, think about it. If the conservative voice and the liberal voice came together for just a few issues, right? They could, think how powerful those issues could be. I mean, we saw it with the separations of families, right? When the progressives started saying separation of families, bad, 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 people were like, okay, of course you're going to say that. But then when the Southern Baptists wrote a letter, when, when, when people saying, no, this has to stop, no matter what our political sides are, it noticed that when those denominations came together and united, what was it like a week later? It the the executive order was passed. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about unity and yeah. within the church and how how do we because um, somebody outside the church see divisiveness and they just kind of label the church with divisiveness and so if if there's way that we can express unity around something and, and like you said this is one of those issues that that we as the church capital C church um, sure. regardless if we have you know a little different theological streams or interpretations that this is something that we should all be able to rally around. I, I mean, it happened that. in South Africa, and it happened in uh, apartheid. It happened uh, when when churches just realize uh, uh, when it comes to issues of poverty and homelessness, right? Even in mission work, there's so many things that we unite on to get right. a lot of things done. We can do this for immigration. I, I really don't see a political hang up hang up for any pastor. Really, uh, there might be some congregants that might get upset, but for real controversy, for a pastor, I see the the political. Uh, maneuvering or the capital that might be lost is very low. Right, right. Um, and it so presents I, a discipling opportunity as well. Like you said, with congregants yeah. who who might think differently, I mean, this is an opportunity to, to get very biblical and, and to disciple our people as well. 
Exactly. And so I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I see this as a pretty clear, and I've even seen it, you know, the people who shared your post, uh, your, your article have been some of my most conservative friends and my most liberal friends. That's cool. So, you know, I, I, to me, I think it's not, I almost am almost done debating it because there really isn't nothing to debate. It seems to me pretty clear. And if conservative and liberal and moderate theologians and pastors can kind of come to agreement, we need to stop talking and just say, okay, this is, this is our stance and we're, we're moving on, you know? Yeah, that's good, um, brother. Thank you for sharing your story and giving us kind of a, a, a first-hand account because most everything we experience is obviously, you know, from someone kind of looking from the outside in, but you went and, you know, got right in the midst of it and had the opportunity to, to develop those relationships and to hear stories and to, to get that sense of what was really happening. So thank you for taking the time to be with us today and sharing with our, our listeners. Certainly appreciate it. All right. You guys do great work and thank uh, you. I respect uh, all you do. And I can't wait to follow churchleaders.com more. I, I knew about y'all before, but I've now uh, been introduced to y'all in full relationship. So thank you so much and uh, continue to just really engaging truth and uniting really the church. You do a great job of uniting uh, the different, you know, angles of the church. So thank Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Certainly appreciate it. God bless you, Gavin. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the Faith Play app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.